Well, we have really, really good news. Not only did I say that uh, the Grams and Peter are back from the hospital to be with us, it's even better than that. They are here back from Korea with us. So I hope that Peter's going to be on display after church today. Let's pray. You know, we need help. Uh, Lord, we come to you very thankful for the many blessings that you've showered on us. We look around us at this beautiful world and are glad to confess that it's your world. And we are also very glad that you have not left us alone, but you have given us your word and you're working in our hearts by your spirit and you're drawing us to Jesus. We pray now that you build us up in our faith. Help us to understand what your word says. Be changed by it. May we leave different people than when we came today. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. Dartmouth College, you've heard of it, right? A great, great testing ground for a social scientist. So he goes and does a study, randomly picks dorms and roommates for people. And guess what happened? That particular study concluded that students, freshman students, do well depending upon their peers. Academic performance is really related to uh, how their roommates do in their studies. And uh, so it's not how much their parents make. It's not how much a freshman uh, has had good grades in high school. It's not, on, it's not based on how his parents have studied. It's not which fraternity he belongs to. And it is not either related to whether or not he drank beer in the last year. In other words, when it comes to college freshmen, you become like the ones with whom you associate. Now, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, says the same thing to us in the book of Proverbs. For example, he who walks with wise men will be wise. And that same verse continues with these words, the companion of fools will suffer harm. For Christians, who we emulate is very important. Peter tells us, there are many verses, be like so-and-so, be like so-and-so, but there's one passage in 1 Peter that gets right to the heart of this whole idea of who we emulate. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, you are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. To what end? That you might show forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you weren't a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you have obtained it. Lights in a dark world modeling Christ-likeness. Well, we need models. Jesus is the best one, and he has left us with some other models to follow. 
Today, we're going to focus on this topic, how to live like a missionary for Jesus Christ. How to live like a missionary for Jesus Christ. And it comes right out of the verses that we just heard, Acts chapter 13, verses 44 to 52. If you have a Bible, please turn to it. Acts chapter 13, verses 44 to 52. Now, we are at a transition point in the book of Acts. What has come before is all about near neighbor outreach. When we get to chapter 13, there's a transition now, which really carries us through the rest of the book, and the focus there is not on near neighbors and their need for, the Christ, uh, for Christ, it's rather on those who don't have any access to Christian truth today. And there are millions of people around the world like that. What happens to them? Well, the Lord addresses that issue in chapter 13. He says there's another structure besides a local church for getting to people, and that is missionary teams. To that end, the Holy Spirit calls missionaries, Acts chapter 13, verse 2, and to that end, the Holy Spirit sends missionaries, Acts chapter 13, verse 4. This is for people who are beyond the reach of the ministry of a local congregation. Well, Luke, now in this section we're going to look at, Luke gives us four ways of living like a missionary, whether you're here in Berks County or whether the Lord calls you to Timbuktu or some other place in between. What's the first step in living like a missionary? Well, please look at verses 42, 44, and 45. First, seek to pass on the knowledge of Christ to everyone who comes across your path. Seek to pass on the knowledge of Christ to everyone who comes across your path. Now, here's the scene. Paul and his missionary team <clears throat> are in Antioch of Pisidia, They've been guided by the Holy Spirit from, from Paphos to Perga, and now they're there in Pisidia. And what do we know about that place? Well, it was a Roman capital, the Roman capital of Galatia, population about 100,000 people, marked by lots of ethnic diversity, Phrygians, Galatians, Greeks, Jews, and also Roman veterans. They go to the synagogue and are asked, do you have a word for us? And so Peter gives the gospel to his audience in the synagogue. And what does he say? Well, here's kind of the high points of the gospel. <clears throat> Jesus, the eternal God-man, left heaven to come to earth to die on the cross to pay for the sins of his people. Heaven is a gift then. It is not something we earn and is not something we deserve. It must be a gift because we're sinners separated from God. Through faith in Christ, all your sins can be forgiven. Every last one of them. And it's a gift and the people that listen to Paul recognize it as great news and they say, please come back next week. And that brings us now to verse 44. 
The next Sabbath day, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. The synagogue is packed out. And there are Jews there, there are interested Gentiles, and we imagine that there are rich and, poor, rich and poor, cultured and uncultured, educated and uneducated. Almost everybody in town has showed up. What a missionary opportunity. And Paul continues to explain the gospel. This is what missionaries do. Wherever they have an opportunity, they seek to spread the knowledge of Christ. You want to live like a missionary? Well, make that your aim. Do all that you can to pass on the knowledge of Christ to everyone who comes your way. Think about your life as a series of divine appointments. You don't bump into people by chance. The Lord is working your life. And he's working your life so you have contact with the people that he thinks are important for his agenda. The Lord is leading you from one person to another to another because he wants you to bless them. That is an important thing to get in our minds. I'm here to be a blessing. So that's the first step to living like a missionary. Seek to be a blessing. What's next? Well, look at verses 45 and 46. <clears throat> See opposition as an opportunity. See opposition as an opportunity. A couple of weeks ago, when I was preaching, I said sometimes I get nervous when I'm interacting with people. And you all laughed at me, and nobody else in the room gets nervous when you talk about the Lord. Only me. <clears throat> it was laughter like that. Well, Paul has just been giving the best news in all the world. Full and free forgiveness for all your sins. And now look at verse 45. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you have thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles. Now that is opposition with what I would call a capital O. What's the form? They contradict Paul and they revile him. They are disrespectful to him, demeaning, maligning. In other words, Paul, keep your filthy mouth shut. We don't want to hear anything you have to say. And what's the reason? Well, look at it. The Jews saw the crowd, the crowds, and were filled with jealousy. Now, let's remember, this is a mixed multitude. There are Jews there, and there are Gentiles there. And God had said to Abraham long time ago, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so that you can be a blessing to the ends of the earth. But generally speaking, the people of Israel had very little interest in being a blessing. They wanted to keep the blessings of God for themselves. And their attitude? 
Not only do we want to keep the blessings for ourselves, we also want to keep the Gentiles away. And practically speaking, their attitude toward Gentiles was, they can go to hell. However, God keeps his word. God keeps his word. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 11, this idea of jealousy comes up. How so? The Lord says to ancient Israel, I am jealous for your worship. I want you to worship me, nobody else. And I want the whole world to worship me, nobody else. Now, is God overstating the case? I mean, is he being a little proud? Well, who else deserves all worship, you know? And then the Lord goes on and he says on the jealousy theme, I am not only jealous for your worship, you make me jealous when you worship idols. And so guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to make you jealous. I'm going to get your attention. How so? I am going to pass on blessings to Gentiles, people you think are nobodies. And so the Jews in Pisidia are feeling like this. These people who have just shown up in the synagogue, they are the wrong kind of people. We resent their being here. Before anybody gets too comfortable, we want guarantees that they will support our way of thinking. They will support our values. After all, this is our thing. This is our place. So how, then, can opposition be an opportunity? Ha <laughs> ha. Please look now at verse 46. Paul and Barnabas say, you've rejected the word of God. By so doing, you have judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. So, we're heading to the Gentiles. Opposition to the knowledge of Christ does two things. First of all, it identifies and it exposes the spiritual needs of those you're trying to serve. Boom, it's out on the table. Now everybody can see the spiritual needs of these self-righteous Jews. Rejecting the gospel demonstrates unbelief in the promises of God and therefore unworthiness for eternal life. So opposition then rightly moves the people of God to pray. But opposition does something else here. It helps identify those the Lord wants you to serve, those with whom the Lord wants you to share the knowledge of Christ. Look at the end of verse 46. We are turning to the Gentiles. So how do you live like a missionary? First of all, you seek to pass on the knowledge of Christ to anybody the Lord brings across your path. And secondly, you see opposition as an opportunity to clarify who the Lord wants you to serve. What's next? Well, look at verse 47. 
Remind yourself who Christ has made you to be. Remind yourself who Christ has made you to be. First of all, you're under his command. Look at the beginning of 47. Paul says, the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles. At great personal cost, the Lord saved you from your sins. He delivered you from the kingdom of darkness and he ushered you into the kingdom of his beloved son. You belong to him. Let me say it another way. You belong first and foremost to Christ. You do not first and foremost belong to yourself. He has redeemed you, paid for all of your sins. And so, now listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. Christ died for all, that those who live should not from this point on live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. We live in a culture where the focus is on live for yourself. The Christian message is so countercultural. Don't live for yourself. Live for him who died for you and rose again. And so the, the, the constant question is, then day by day, is this. Am I <clears throat> living for Christ? Since I'm his, is this the very best use of my time and energy to accomplish his purposes? And we're not left in the dark. Christ calls you to make his last command. Remember his last command? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He's calling you to make the, his last command the matter of your first concern. You're called to align your life, how you spend your time, your talent, your treasure with his vision of a world that's been reached with the gospel. So look at the last part of verse 47. I've made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, if you were in... Sunday school this morning, you would immediately recognize that quote as an example of intertextuality, right? It's a quote from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. It describes the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is the one who has been given the responsibility to be a servant so that the salvation of God may go to the ends of the earth. And now look what happens with Paul and Barnabas. They identify themselves with God's global agenda. They're united to Christ. And therefore, because they're united to Christ, they're necessarily tied to his mission, his mission which is the glory of God among all the peoples of the world. And you're included in that grand design. You say, where? All right, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. What does Luke do at the very beginning of his book? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the earth. Yes, it is true. Every local church can and should reach out to near neighbors with the gospel. The Lord is interested in every one of your neighbors. In addition to that, he raises up missionary teams who go where there is no church in the language and culture of their target people. So whether you stay at home or whether you go, to those that have never heard the gospel, this vision of Christ is designed to propel you with great energy and joy to serve the Lord among those that don't know him. You're under Christ's command. He's made you a light to a very needy world. And so living like a missionary means seeking to pass on the knowledge of Christ to everyone who comes your way, seeing opposition as opportunity, and now reminding yourself of who Christ has made you to be. One more. Look at verses 48 to 52. Be a good steward. Keep on looking for and working with people who are responsive, not people who are resistant. One of the things that's very clear here is that Paul and Barnabas leave those who are resistant to the truth. Do you see it there in verse 50? We're again face to face with Jewish opposition. They stir up the power people in town, the movers and shakers, and they persecute Paul and Barnabas and John Mark and drive them out. Now, on the one hand, this ministry at Pisidia was very exciting. The word of the Lord is spreading throughout the whole region. But there's too much pressure, and the missionaries decide to leave. And so now look at the end verse, verse 52. They shake the dust off their feet, and they go on to Iconium. Just let's pause here. What's this idea of shaking the dust off your feet? Well, it's something that Jesus taught. You can look at it back in Luke chapter 10, the first 10 verses if you want. When Paul and Barnabas shake the dust off their feet, what they're doing is they're saying, in effect, the responsibility for our leaving is because you have rejected the word of Christ that we've been bringing to you. Yes, it's a sobering thing. There is an end to God's patience. And they have reached it here. But their, but their exit is not simply trying to get away from pressure. It's a strategic move. And the strategic move is this. With whom do we work? We work with people who are faithful, available, teachable. That's the consistent message of the Bible. Don't try to swim upstream against the current. And so that brings us then to the rest of what's in these verses, and that is remember your mission. Your mission is to share the message of Christ with anybody that will listen and in the process give them opportunity for great joy. On the front end of this little section, verse 48, when the disciples heard this good news, 
they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. What's the Lord doing there? He is irresistibly drawing to himself those that he wants as his own. And now look at the end, verse 52. The missionaries move on, and again, the disciples are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Stewardship means looking for and working with people that are responsive. When we introduce people to Christ, there's reason for them to experience great joy. And our job is to find them and share with them the best news in all the world. So what's it mean to live like a missionary? Well, you pass on the knowledge of Christ to everyone that the Lord brings across your path. You see opposition as an opportunity to clarify those with whom the Lord wants you to work. You remind yourself who Christ has made you to be, a blessing to those that are lost, and you be a good steward. You keep on looking for and working with people who are responsive. Now, I can imagine somebody saying right now about this point, you have just rattled off like four imperatives. This sounds like you're just trying to lay guilt trip on us. Please do not hear that. Please look at the last verse. New believers are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Is he the spirit of power that enables you to witness according to Acts chapter 1 verse 8? Absolutely. And so the Lord is not asking you to do anything out of your own resources. If you think that's the, that's the issue, you have to somehow uh, generate your own stuff to follow these directives, you've missed the point of the gospel. It hasn't come down into your life very far. The gospel is, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by my hard work. No, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I was talking to a friend about this passage and related ideas recently, and he sent me a text message. Uh, what do you think about this as a way of embracing the postures of what we've just looked at? When it comes to thinking about our posture toward the world and outsiders, we want to be gracious, open, inclusive, humble, kind, eager, approachable, curious, and good students of the people the Lord brings across our path. And what about a posture toward the church? Now, let's remember, the people sitting around you today, they are your Christian Brothers and sisters, they are your fellow servants. What's God's posture? What's the posture the Lord wants you to have toward them? See if this fits. Loyal, cooperative, humble, trustworthy, transparent, reliable, steadfast. And then one more. What posture... In light of God's grace to you, does the Lord want you to have toward him? 
referencing an Old Testament prophet. How about this is a good summary? Isaiah said, here am I, Lord. Send me. Eager, diligent, seeking to be honorable and trustworthy before the Lord. You've been saved by grace and that not of yourself. So live for the glory of God's name here in Berks County for sure. And also to the ends of the earth as you have opportunity to impact people who right now have no access to Christian truth. By grace, you've received. So be a model now of selfless love as you follow the life of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word and ask you to bless it to us. Help us, we pray, to choose to follow this life of self-sacrifice because you have given yourself to us and because you've given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to be all you've designed us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing one more song, and it's numbered 436. 436.